Well, uh, be, before we start, um, I, uh, I feel a little troubled today. Um, not, not necessarily the inside of me, but uh, just looking at the world around us. Uh, it's tough out there. So I just felt like we needed to, uh, gathering as the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit present among us, that uh, we ought to just take a minute and pray for uh, things happening in the world. I'm sure by now you've heard of the earthquake in Japan. Um, just watching some of the images uh, of that, the awesome um, power there, but uh, the devastation that's uh, happening right now and certainly ahead for years to come in that country. Um, just watching things that are happening in the Middle East, um, it's scary out there. Um, it's, it really is. Um, and our own country, I mean, heck, we got... Uh, we got um, uh, legislators so afraid they got to run to other states to do things. You know, it's uh, it's just a it's just an, an interesting time in the world. So I just want to take a minute and pray. Um, <clears throat> I may pray some things and then be quiet. Doesn't mean I fell asleep. It just means I'm letting you fill in the blanks. Okay, Father, we address you this morning as sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-loving God. We know, Lord, that there's nothing that happens in this world that's outside of your purview. You see it. You know it. So, Lord, we bring these, uh, these situations to you today. You hear our prayer and, and you act on behalf of those who look to you. So, Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus, I would bring the, uh, the country of Japan to you. We know you see it, Lord, but once again, we bring it to your attention. And I just ask, Lord, that you'd bless that country that you would uh, minimize loss of life from this great earthquake. Lord, that you would somehow, in the midst of this, show your redemptive and your loving power. Lord, would you rescue people physically, emotionally, spiritually? Would you rescue people, Lord? Lord, in a land where so few know you, so few know the name of Jesus, we just ask that you'd bring your blessing your love, your compassion upon that land. Lord, as um, things stir in the Middle East, countries uh, changing, governments, people revolting, blood being shed, we know that you see that. And Lord, there's nothing new under the sun. It's been happening for centuries. But again, Lord, we ask that you would intervene. Or we're not asking that you bring our form of government, but we ask, Lord, that you bring your government upon those places. We ask that you bring uh, the Lordship of Jesus, the kingdom of God, upon the Middle East, upon North Africa, those countries where uh, things are changing. Lord, as people rise up looking for justice, we ask, Lord, that you'd show them your justice by showing them your son, Jesus. I pray that the name of Jesus will go forth in the midst of all of this. And Lord, that you care for, have compassion on, lead, heal, save people. And Father, for our own country, I just pray, Lord, that you not let us uh, sit here thinking that they have troubles everywhere else, but we've got it all figured out. Lord, we don't. So we pray for our government officials, for our president, for our governor, for our mayor here. Lord, we ask that you give them wisdom and revelation. Lead us, Lord. We pray that the, that the power of Jesus would be shown at every level of influence in this country. 
The Lord, let there be a holy war, not of uh, mean words or bloodshed, but a holy war of love, compassion, and grace. And Lord, as we look to the scriptures this morning, we pray that you would uh, turn your gaze upon our hearts, that by your Holy Spirit you'd open our hearts up, unclog our ears this morning and bring us a sensitivity, Lord, to what it is that you want to say to us today, what you want to do in our lives, how you want to use us in this world. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. I feel like I could have prayed for the next half hour. A lot going on out there. Well, um, let me just tell you, I feel terrible. (laughs) <laughs> I probably sound terrible, and I've been sick most of the week. I don't, tell, I don't tell you that so you have pity on me. I don't need pity. I tell you that so you don't think that I'm mad, angry, or sad. <laughs> I remember when we were living in Pennsylvania, my kids were small. We were looking for a church. Isn't it hard to find a church? Sometimes you find a church, and you walk in, you think, it's still hard to find a church. We were looking for a church. We went into this place, and... Um, we worshiped for a while. A man stood up and he started to scream and yell. And he did that for about 30 minutes. One of my kids, about five years old, finally goes like this to me. He says, Dad, why is that guy so angry? <laughs> so uh, I tell you I'm sick because I know that the way that somebody communicates sometimes communicates more than he wants to. So I'm not mad at any of you. I'm not terribly sad. I just feel awful. <clears throat> God sort of... Uh, Messed with me a little bit yesterday, too. I had a real nice message for you on money, giving, generosity. <clears throat> I don't get to give that one. It had a video with it and everything. <laughs> uh, probably get that one in two weeks. Last night, um, the Lord impressed on me uh, Isaiah 30. And it's a passage that I come back to kind of over and over again. In fact, I've probably pulled this one on you once or twice before. It seems to me like once a year, God preaches this message to me, and then I have to give it to you. So until we get the message of repentance and rest, of quietness and trust, until we get that, I guess year by year, I'll just give this to you when it comes. I don't have a lot of content since this came last night, (laughs) but I do have a serious intent, and this is it. I feel like a part of uh, my job as a pastor is a priestly job. In my opinion, a priest speaks to God on behalf of people and speaks to people on behalf of God. So let this be this morning sort of a Lenten examination of your own heart. And what I pray is that as, as people, we look and we say, God, we see you and we want to hear from you. And that as God, he looks down on his people and he sees open and receptive hearts where he gets to pour out his love, his compassion, his mercy and his power. So I'm going to just start rambling. If you're done before I am, you're welcome to leave. Um, I guess I'm just going to start. Is that all right? There's a little introduction to Isaiah 30 that happens in 2 Chronicles 14. 2 Chronicles 14, you have... uh, it's just after the time of Solomon, the kingship of Solomon. The, Israel has divided, so you now have Israel and Judah. 
And Judah has kings coming and going. Some of them are good or some of them are bad. It's like one chapter, the guy was a lousy, no good, rotten, stinking, filthy guy. And the next one, a good guy comes in. Second Chronicles 14, Asa is a king and he was a good king. And he did a lot of good things. Israel was uh, under threat from Assyria at the time. Assyria was a wicked nation, bad dudes with bad motives, bad ideas, and they wanted Israel. Um, and uh, the people of God were, uh, the Israelites living in Judah, were troubled. They were troubled. They really needed help. Let me just read to you from Second Chronicles chapter 14. It's not up on the screen. Just take it in. Just, be, uh, just, just hear it as the Lord speaks. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He took care of the idols that the people had gone to other than God. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. Because we have sought the Lord our God, said Asa, we sought him and he has given us rest on every side. Now Zerah the Cushite, guys from Egypt, Cushites from Egypt. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and 300 chariots and came as far as Maresha. And Asa went out to meet him and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Maharesh. Something. <clears throat> Then Asa called to the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, there is no one like you to help us, to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we've come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. The Lord struck down the Cushites for Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled. Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. So here's an instance in the history of Israel, the kingdom of Judah at this point, where a good king comes and he says, listen, we need God. We've got to put away our idols. We've got to go to God. And this vast army that was arrayed against Judah certainly had the physical human wherewithal to crush them. And what Asa says, by the Spirit of the Lord, is let's not look to what we have in the human level. Let's look to the Lord our God. Let's ask him to come because he's the powerful one who can help the weak. So this is, this is in the history books of Judah. And so when we get to Isaiah 30, any person hearing the prophecy of Isaiah knows this story. Knows the story of how God came and cared for the peop- his people rescued them when it seemed like rescue was impossible. We get to Isaiah chapter 30, and I'm going to read through uh, about 19 verses here and make some comments. It won't take as long as it sounds. We get to Isaiah 30, and we have the word of the Lord through Isaiah to the people of God saying, you know what, you forgot Second Chronicles. You forgot the help of God. Because once again, They're afraid of their attackers as the people of God. And once again, they're tempted to look to man for help. Here's what's interesting. You know where they want to go uh, for help in Isaiah 30? They want to go to the Egyptians. They actually want to go and get the chariots and the horses of Egypt 
to protect them and to keep them safe. The very people that God routed with miraculous power hundreds of years before, they now want to go to for protection. Isn't it ironic? Sometimes when we forget what God has done, it just pushes us off the track of seeking him and allowing his power to come into our lives. That's the background for Isaiah 30. Isaiah is a prophet. As somebody said to me this morning, it's not really fun to read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. (laughs) Once you get to 40, it gets happier. But the first 39 are just as much reality for us as they were in the time of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 30, starting in verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. Isaiah says, woe to you. That means bad news for you. Because you're looking for the help of man to do something that only God can do. They wanted to make an alliance with Egypt for protection and safety. Not a lot of exposition right to the application. I'll ask you this question. Would you take the next 40 days before Easter and ask the Lord if there are any unholy alliances in your own life? Is, Is there any place where you've made an alliance with someone with some thing, with some habit pattern, with some way of relating, where you realize, you know, I know that God could come here, but I can't wait for him. I'm too afraid, and I've got to make an alliance with something on the human level to save me. Does that make sense? It's a Lenten examination. Lord, is there a place where there's an unholy alliance in my life? It doesn't even have to be some sinful addiction. I'm not talking just about that. Is there a place where you go to someone or something other than God for that sense of safety and security and wellness when it's the Lord God himself who wants to give that to you? You hear me say it before. I'll say it again. Don't hear condemnation. Hear an invitation into repentance if there's any unholy alliance. Where do you go when it hurts really bad inside? What's your default? Any place, any person, any habit pattern that gets in the way of God actually coming to give you his power. Where do you go for safety, protection, or deliverance? I'm not going to give you all the options. You know them. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit use that question and we'll examine ourselves. God will reveal. Isaiah 30 Three, but Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. Verse 8, go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. I'm not saying this is God's word to us. I'm saying examine yourself if you fall in this category. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, 
children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. Listen to this. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. They need help. God's there. They look to man instead of God. And when the prophets come to say, you know what, you veered off the track. This is what they say. We don't want to hear your words from God. Prophesy illusions to us. So here's the examination for Lent, the heart examination question for us this morning. Is there any place in our lives where we want to block the voice of God? Is there any place, any inclination, any mechanism that we say, you know what, we just don't want to hear God's voice? Where do you go when you want to hear illusions prophesied to you? I recognize that in this, uh, as last year was a harder one for me, just emotionally and spiritually, that as I kind of come back into a, a renewed understanding of God's love and passion for me and compassion for me, it's, I'm a little tentative with God. It's kind of hard to approach Him. I, can I be honest? I feel a little fearful. And so sometimes when I'm praying, I find myself doing all the talking. <laughs> Because I really don't want to hear sometimes what God has to say. Is there any place in your life, is there any habit, activity, etc., where you just kind of put the mute button on God? <laughs> Yesterday morning, uh, I was uh, doing some things in the kitchen. My son was working on his computer. He had some interesting music on his computer. Um, and uh, he went upstairs for a while, and so I went over and I clicked the mute button on it. Because <laughs> I just didn't want to hear it anymore. And he came down and he said, who put my computer on mute? <laughs> I said, I did. I didn't want to hear it. Sometimes we do that with the Lord. Sometimes we fill our lives with acti- activity. Sometimes we just literally don't want to hear the heavenly music of God singing to our own spirits. Either because we're afraid it's going to be conviction of sin and we'll have to change. Or can I, you know, let's turn that around. Sometimes we don't want to hear the voice of God because we don't want God to speak to us our destiny because we're too darn afraid to take it up. I've had a lot of prophetic words over my life. You know, people say, the Lord's going to do this, the Lord's going to do this. There came a time in my life where I just said, I don't want to hear that anymore because I don't want to be responsible for becoming the person in God that could actually live out that kind of destiny. And you know what? We're full of destiny in this room. We're full of, we're a people full of the call of God in our lives. As individual as we are right here is, is as uh, individual as the calling of God upon us. We are a great and mighty people in this room right now because of the Lord's call upon us. And some of us just don't want to take it up. And so we put God on mute. I don't really have anything encouraging to say after that. (laughs) This is just a question. What's the result of relying on uh, things, people, other than God, or pushing away confrontation with the Holy One of Israel? Verse 13 and 14. 
Because you've rejected this message and relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. You know what the message is. If we build our lives on anything but God, it, it is destined to break. It is destined to fall. If we build our uh, protection around ourselves to make ourselves feel good and look good and rely on anything human other than God to tell us who we are and to be our sustenance and our power and our strength, it will be like a bulging wall. It will crack eventually. How many have already experienced a little cracking in their lives? Yeah, I have. <laughs> My wall came crashing down a couple of times. And now I'm a little bit more tender towards God and say, you know what, I don't want to build that wall again based on human power and understanding. I really want to build, be found in the fortress of God. So here's the invitation of God to these obstinate people. Way back then, not us, way back then, into us. Verse 15, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Will you say it with me? In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I, I pray that that one's emblazoned on your soul when you walk out today. Because it is the invitation of God for us every single day of our lives. In repentance and rest is my salvation. In quietness and trust is my strength. Repentance in this context just means returning. For you look up to God and say, God, have I looked to anyone other than you to help me where only you can help me? And when God says yes, you just simply turn around and say, I'm coming back to you. <laughs> you know, as far as we walk away from God in any place in our lives, as soon as we turn around, he's right there. Not to slap us, not to condemn us, not to, you know, put the, put the claws in us, but to receive us again when we repent. It's an invitation this morning to return to God. Turn back on unholy alliances. If the Lord spoke to you in that first point and said, yes, you've made an alliance with this person, this thing, this habit, this addiction, and you're looking for protection or safety from it, you just turn from it. You say, God, I don't want that anymore. I want to be aligned with you again. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Cleansing comes like this. God's ready to wash you at a moment's notice. Repentance and rest. Rest just means <laughs> stop doing the same thing to try to build your life and expecting different results. We do need to learn how to be. I am so much preaching to myself right now. I need to learn how to be. I need to learn how to be. Uh, you know, I, I'm a man, and so when, a, when I see a problem, I just want to attack it. Attack the problem. I will fix it. I'll fix it with my words. I'll fix it with my strength. I'll fix it with my mechanical ability. Except I don't have any of that. 
But you know what, men and women, we need to learn to rest. That means sometimes God says to us, stop doing and just be. Stop trying to make your life work and let me work in your life. It doesn't mean that we don't give it our best out there in the world, that we don't work for God. We do. We get to do that. But it's not human strength. It's God's strength. And the only way you get God's strength, it's like it's like a car and, a, and gasoline. You know, <laughs> a car can't will itself to go any farther than the gas inside will allow it. And sometimes we just have to recognize, God, I am completely depleted of energy resources. And I just want to go, 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 go. And the Lord says, stop. Psalm 46.10, cease striving and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. In repentance and rest is your salvation. You know what salvation means? Liberation. Freedom. Bondage is gone. Victory. Victory. What would it look like if we had, there are a hundred or so people here, a hundred people walking out there in the world in victory because we'd repented from our unholy alliances. We'd rested in God and he poured his resources into us. Man, I'm all over that like a cheap suit. I really want that for us. People walking in victory. In repentance and rest is your, is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. What does quietness and trust look like in our lives in 2011? Quietness, I think we can take it literally. Maybe we need to stop talking so much. And we need to start listening more. Stop talking so much at God and start listening to God. Through his word, in his gentle voice that he speaks to us. Maybe it has implications for our human relationships, too. Maybe we need to stop talking so much, judging others, accusing others, defending ourselves, and evading problems, and just be willing to listen. Listen. Who do you have in your life that you can say, tell me the truth about me? If you don't have a person like that, do not pass go, do not collect $200, (laughs) Go straight to God and say, God, where's the person who will speak to me honestly and tell me about me so I can be quiet and listen? Because in quietness and trust is what? Our strength. Trust means to rely on God, to put worry away by the force of our will. When worry comes in, trust is waiting. When worry comes in, we can literally make a choice I know that that issue's out there. I know that the amount of my debts are way bigger than the amount of my resources. But I can choose by my will, by the power of God, to say, I'm not going to fret and worry. I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to trust in the deliverance of God. Man, read Second Chronicles 14 when you need to know how to trust. When you feel like the, uh, the armies of the world are arrayed against you, chariots coming at you, bullets flying, Look to the way that God delivered the Israelites when they looked to him. And pray the prayer of Asa. Oh, God, help us. (laughs) Who else is there but you, the powerful one, to care for the weak? Verse 16, Isaiah 30. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You know what the next line is? The Lord speaking to his people. It says, and you would have none of it. Oh, darn. 
<laughs> they had the chance. God gave them the invitation for salvation and for strength. And the reality was, the Lord says, you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll flee on horses. In other words, we'll go to Egypt and we'll get the resources. The Lord says, therefore, you will flee. You said, we'll ride on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will, you will all flee away till you're left like a flagstaff, a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. In other words, there are consequences for saying no to the invitation of God to repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. You know what God will do graciously? He'll leave us to our own resources. He really will. In grace, in love, he'll allow, like a loving parent, discipline in our lives. You want to use your resources? You want to trust in yourself or in others other than me? God will let us see how that works out. In some cases, the things that we fear the most that we're running against will come upon us when we don't look to God. It's not judgment it's consequences. It's not God's anger against us. It's God's loving, willful allowance of the consequences of sin, looking to others rather than God, that come upon us. Hebrews 12 says we should be thankful when we're disciplined because God disciplines us as sons and as daughters. He loves us. Boy, if you're in a place right now where you realize my resources that I'm trusting in are not working, rather than getting angry at God, I would advise you to look to God and say thank you. Thank you that I now realize I can't do this by myself. I need you. Because here is the second invitation of God. This is the intent behind repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. Verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people of Zion, that's us. People of God's presence. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he'll answer you. See, that's the nature of God. It's right in the nature of God. He longs to be gracious to you. You know what that means? God is in heaven, and he's just giddy like a kid. Giddy like a kid to pour out grace upon you. Giddy like a kid for you to put away the things that you trust in other than him, get out of your hands your own strength, so you can actually receive what you don't deserve and you could never earn. That's grace, right? And God is just, I don't know why I keep saying giddy like a kid. I like it. <laughs> Giddy like a kid in heaven, waiting for you to empty your, your hands of your own resources so he can give you his grace. That's the heart of God, longing to be gracious to you. The scripture says he rises to have compassion upon you. You know what? The image is God's running towards you. God, the omnipotent creator, is literally getting up out of his seat and coming to you so he can show you his love. Isn't that the life of Jesus? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus set down riches of heaven and, and, and that oneness and, and, um, and purity 
of life in heaven as the eternal son and he descended. He, he rose from his place in heaven and he came right to earth to us so that what? He could show us his compassion. So he could love us even to the point of death on a cross. So if this morning you're sitting here and saying, gosh, I want to know the compassion, the love, and the grace of God, Jesus is pouring it out to you today. He's just longing to give you the gracious gift of eternal life. When you repent, you turn from your sin. When you rest in Him and stop trying to earn your way into God's favor or the favor of people, when you're quiet and begin to listen to Him, and when you trust Him with your whole heart, then Jesus says, I take you in. I forgive you. And the gift is salvation, wholeness, deliverance, victory, and strength for this life. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. May the Lord say of us at the vineyard, and you took it wholeheartedly. And you took it wholeheartedly. The moment, what's the scripture say? How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. That's the grace of God. Let's uh, stand up. The ushers can come forward. We'll uh, prepare for communion. Excuse me. Yeah, communion people. (laughs) Father, thank you for your grace to us. I thank you, Lord, for the word of... uh, Correction this morning, not condemnation, but an invitation to repentance and to rest, to quietness and to trust. Lord, I ask if uh, any of us have walked in this morning with a heavy heart, with a sullied soul. Lord, that we would turn this morning right now, that we would look to you for your strength and your power, that we would walk away today in the knowledge of your salvation, in the reality of your strength, poured into us by the Holy Spirit. Capture us, Lord, today. Bring us back in places where we've walked away and pour out in us, God, your your grace and your compassion. And Lord, we ask it not just for our own selves, but we ask, Lord, that we would be so filled with grace so filled with compassion, so filled with unconditional, all-powerful love, that everywhere we go, it would ooze out of us to others, that we would be the hands and the feet of Jesus everywhere we go. We pray in his name. Amen.